Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to get to talk to you. Uh, when I was trying to come up with what to talk to you about, as, as this was developing, I just wasn't quite sure how it was going to go because it was making sense to me. And those of you that know me said, now it's a scary thought. <laughs> These guys are all shaking their heads. Because when it makes sense to me, uh, usually it doesn't make sense to everybody else. Is my mic working? <laughs> okay, then evidently it's right, because if Jason said, huh, then that means it's working. We all know. Okay. <laughs> so, so they gave me Revive My Church. And when they gave me that, I was like, well, let's see, I've never started a church. I don't know anything about reviving an entire church. I've revived a number of campus ministries, or God has revived campus ministries through me. I didn't do anything, but, but revive my church? I'm, I'm given that topic, and as I got to thinking about it and studying about the directions I would go, I'd start off on one trail and then decide, no, that's not where I wanted to go at all. I started off on a kingdom focus trail from the kingdom focus book, and, and I decided, no, I don't, I don't think that's the direction I want to go. And the more I wrestled with it, the more I finally just kind of stopped and said, well, what is it that I would want the leaders here to know? Because really, if we're going to revive the church, it starts with you, doesn't it? It starts with us, doesn't it? We're the you're the leaders that are here this weekend, right? So I had to ask myself three questions. What did I want you to hear? What did I want you to know? And what do I want us to be? So I came up with... I want us to seek to be alive in Christ. I want us constantly seeking revival. And I want us willing to begin at my sanctuary. That last one will make more sense as we get into it from the direction I chose to go with it. When it comes to being alive in Christ and seeking revival, I think it's important to understand what exactly we're asking. You know, to most people and to most Christians, when you hear the word Revival, it conveys the meaning of a large increase in number of converts. When that happens, they say, oh, there's been a great revival in that church or in that ministry. As Mackie pointed out today, the true meaning is a lot deeper. I think it was last night, actually. That true meaning is making alive again those who have been alive but fallen into a cold or dead state. They're Christians, but they need to be revived to bring them back to their first love. See, I contend what the church should be and what the world actually needs above everything else is Christians who are stronger in faith, devoted to Christ, and ready to sacrifice everything for the salvation of mankind. A revived church is hope for a dying world. But as I started thinking about it, I thought, well, so where do we begin? If we're going to revive the church, do we, do we, do we start in youth ministry? Do we start in children's ministry? I mean, where, where do we start? We start in teens ministry, campus ministry, since that's us and that's where we're here. We start in older adult ministries. I mean, where, where do you start? You start with the elders? As I was trying to figure that out, God started guiding me, well... I was in the middle of my normal studies, and I had moved into a new study in my morning studies. I'd moved into the book of Ezekiel. And every time I kept thinking about how to do this, I'd read something else in Ezekiel, and it would be like, oh, yeah, that's, 
that's how you revive the church. And I'd read something else and it'd be like, oh yeah, that's how you revive the church. I want you to consider two scriptural references. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel almost the whole time, so just kind of stay with me as we go through there and bounce around a lot in it. But the first one's from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 5 through 6. It says, As I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men and women, and mothers and children. Don't touch anyone that has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they begin with the old men who were in front of the temple. And one more scripture. 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? I think Peter had no doubt read the passages in Ezekiel, where the words begin at my sanctuary take center stage. I think you would have noticed that before the awful judgments the prophets had to announce on the nations that had oppressed them, in chapters 25 through 32, the force of God's anger had been revealed against his own people. If you read Ezekiel, that's what you're going to come across with. Peter had learned that God always seeks to deal with sin in his own house first. For us to be able to effectively share the gospel, we have to understand what it means to begin at my sanctuary. When you study the prophet Ezekiel, you're going to notice a key phrase that occurs over 60 times in Ezekiel. You will know that I am the Lord. You see, to know God is to know eternal life. It's the privilege, the joy, the strength of his people. There's no greater favor God can grant us than to know his glory, his holiness, his power, his nearness, his saving grace. To know God is to know love because God is love. Since sin entered the world, there are two things that we need to know about God. In Ezekiel, we find that God is known in judgment. Look at Ezekiel 7.4. Most of them I'm, I put up here on, on purpose so you wouldn't have to be stopping and, and slip, slipping through the Bible. They are up here. 7-4. I will not look on you with pity. I will not spare you. I will surely repay you for your conduct and for the detestable practices among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God is known in judgment. Skip down to verse 9. I will not look on you with pity. I will not spare you. I will not repay you for your conduct and for the detestable practices among you. Then you'll know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes you. Ezekiel 23, 49. Jump on down to that one. You will suffer the penalty for your lewdness and bear the consequences of your sins of idolatry. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. So God is known in his judgment. He's also known in his mercy. Look at Ezekiel 20, 42. Then you'll know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the land that I had sworn with uplifted hands to give you to your ancestors. You will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices. You, the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. 
Ezekiel 34, 29 through 30. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. They will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear scorn of nations. Then they'll know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel 37, 14. One more. I will put my spirit in you. And you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So there you have it. You take those two together, you see that revival of God only comes through the judgment on sin. Revival among God's people can only come when we allow Him to judge our sin. After God had declared in chapter 7 that he would judge his people, he takes the prophet in chapter 8 to see all the wicked things that, had been done, that were being done in his house. While the men who were committing these abominations said, God does not see us. These men that were committing this were saying, God does not see us. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Is that us? See, every one of us are that way on a regular basis, aren't we? Committing sins, we think they're hidden and they're in the dark. That's what they thought. But God saw and he was angry. So in chapter 9, the prophet hears the command given to six men each with a deadly weapon in their hand. Go through the city and kill. Without showing pity or compassion, listen to the words. Slaughter old men, young men, maidens, women, children. And then the word of the Lord came and begin at my sanctuary which was followed by, they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. That should make every leader perk up and listen real well. Don't you think? When judgment has to happen, when God has got to come and give this awful judgment, this judgment... Go through the city and kill without showing pity, without showing compassion. Slaughter old men, young men, women, maiden, children. Begin with the elders in front of the temple. See, the higher the office, the greater the sin. Judgment must begin with the house of God first. If we're, if we're going to be witnesses to a world about his saving grace... We of all people must be willing to be judged by him. Now let me take the two things I just talked about and recap them for a second because I think, I think they're real important. And I think this is where it began to make a little bit more sense to me that Ezekiel teaches us. First, there's sin in the sanctuary. <clears throat> I wrote down a note for myself that sin may be in God's sanctuary that men know little of. Sin that is hidden. And I need to correct that. It's not sin may be, sin is. Because we all sin and fall short, don't we? Sin is in God's sanctuary that we think little of 
that we think is hidden. Prophet Ezekiel was shown what the men did in the dark. These are the same men that were ready to die for the house, yet they defiled it with their abominations. And they never dreamed how near and how terrible God's judgment was about to be. We just can't, we can't allow that to happen to us. We can't allow that to happen today. We can't allow the formality, the traditions, the lukewarmness. We can't allow those kind of things that marks too many of our professing Christians to be looked on by God as wicked abominations in his house. And leaders, this falls on you. If the church is to be the body of Christ, the place where God dwells with his people, then sin must be judged and it must be cast out, right? And judgment must begin at the sanctuary. Now, I know some of you are not, not like me, an old church kid who grew up in the church and somebody says the sanctuary, you know immediately what they're talking about because you were forced to study the Old Testament all the way through it, etc., etc., when I, when I say the sanctuary now, what are we talking about? This is the temple, isn't it? This now, your body you're walking around with is now the temple. Back in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the temple was something that Solomon had built for God to come and dwell in. You remember all that, right? But now, a shadow of that, the sanctuary was the inner chamber where the high priest went. Now, in the New Covenant, this is the temple. Not me, not Lynn Stringfellow, all of us. This is the temple of God, right? Regardless of some of the things we choose to do to the temple, that's a whole other discussion I won't get into, but we're the temple, right? Where's the sanctuary then? It's right here. It's right here. The sanctuary is where God resides. It's in your heart. So judgment must start right here. I heard Robert Cox say something one time that stuck with me. Robert, you got to, you'll get to know at least one thing you have said since I've been around that's stuck. This one's stuck. If you want to know the temperature of your ministry, stick a thermometer in your own mouth. See, it all starts right here at the sanctuary, right here in our own hearts. But how do we judge sin? I mean, who do we bring it to? In this ministry here in St. Louis, do we bring it to Robert? Is he the Pope here? Do you bring it to Wes? No, whatever you do, don't bring it to Wes. If you're here. <laughs> I knew Wes long, long before he got here. Please, don't, don't bring it to him. He'll just, he'll just look at you and say, stop it. <laughs> right, Wes? Amen. Who do we take it to? <laughs> That brings us to the second lesson that we learned in Ezekiel. That I want, that's why I'm recapping it. God himself must judge sin. You know, far too often, far too often we try to deal with sin ourselves. How often do you hear, you know, I'm really, I'm really trying to deal with my sin. I'm really trying to get a handle on it. You know, I, it's, you just have to understand, it's hard. 
Sin is hard to deal with. This has been with me most of my life, and it's, sin is just hard to deal with. But I'm doing the best I can to deal with it, right? What I need is somebody to hold me accountable. So, Wes, I'm going to get this computer program, and it's going to be on my computer and your computer. And every time I you know, go to the bad site, it's going to show up on your computer, and you'll confront me. And because I know you're going to see it, that's going to keep me from doing it. Right? That one will work, won't it? How'd it work, Wes? Which time? <laughs> All of them. It never did work. You see, because that's leaning on the world's logic. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It indeed has the appearance of wisdom, but it's of no value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words... In Lynn language, it don't work. It doesn't work. So if it doesn't work, what are we going to do with it? And then after we deal, try that method over and over and fail over and over and over again, we decide that it's impossible to overcome. And we give up. And let sin just rule us. That's where too many people are. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Let God deal with your sin. Listen to what God says in chapter 22, Ezekiel 14. Will your courage endure or your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken. I will do it. You see, if we lay our hearts open before God and quit trying to deal with our sins ourselves, God says that he will do it. So what that tells this dumb old farm country boy that the rest of us should be able to learn from. If a dumb guy like me can learn this, I think everybody else can learn it. Bring your sin that you think is hidden, that sin that's in your heart, and let God execute his fierce judgment on it. No matter what kind of sin it is, whether it's lust of the flesh, which is sin in the body, lust of the eyes, sin of choosing the visible over the invisible, or the one I think that gets us all, pride of life, Sin and preferring self over God. No matter what kind of sin it is, give it to God and ask Him to deal with it. Ask Him to do what He has said. What He said in His Word, what He said in Ezekiel. Not to spare, not to pity, but to pour out His fury on sin until it is utterly destroyed. God said, they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them. See, give your sins to God's vengeance and wait on Him, the God of judgment, to judge your sin. Then He will fulfill the promise. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. God will do the cleansing. A computer program won't. And by the way, I'm sure by now they have an app that can do that on your phone. Yeah, I get it. But it won't work. God is the only one that can destroy sin. You can't. But if you'll give it to him, he'll obliterate it. He'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. Right? That's what he says. How far is that? Have you ever wondered how far that is, east from the west? I used to wonder that. How far? I wanted somebody to measure it from, for me. I think his whole point is it's unlimited. That's how far he's going to remove sin. That's how far he'll destroy sin.
When we started, I asked what I wanted you to be. And I said, I want us to be people that seek to be alive in Christ, constantly seeking revival, willing to begin at my sanctuary. Well, then let's just ask him. Lord, for each one of us, begin right here. Take the sin that we're all dealing with, the sin that we think is hidden, that the person sitting next to us doesn't know about, but we know about, and you know about, because sin's never hidden. And take your fierce anger and just destroy it. I envision these video games that they, they do these moves and then they just do something and it just obliterates something. Right? I want God to do that to my sin. And he will if we turn it over to him. Take it out of the place we think is hidden. He already knows about it. And give it to him and say, it's yours. Put your anger on it. Do whatever you have to do. I know we might be afraid of that because it might hurt. And yeah, sometimes it does. But it hurts less than it does to keep sinning. And then his word will be fulfilled. And I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. And then they will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 38, 23. I want to close with a prayer. Father, thank you for giving me this, this time to speak. Father, I would ask that you do exactly what we have asked. I hope that everyone in here was, was asking you instead of me asking for them, but that they were asking you, Father, take my sin and destroy it. Remove it from my life. Put your wrath and your judgment onto it. Thank you, Father, for this group. Thank you for all that they do and for all that they're going to continue to do for you the removal of sin will help them do it even more effectively. The world will hear us when they're seeing us rid ourselves of our own sin. Thank you, Father. It's in your Son's name I pray. Amen.